Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I am Christopher Ian Bennett with the Vancouver Film School Storyteller Studio podcast. Today, I've got another incredible guest. Sometimes this man needs no introduction. Other times, he requires a, a runway of, of things to really explain what a, what a creative industry icon you are in the world of marketing and advertising. Mr. Frank Palmer, thanks for being on the show today. How are you, Frank? Uh, great. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, woke, I woke up. That's always a good sign. Yeah, you rolled right out of bed in that, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a shame that it's a black and white podcast because nobody will be able to fully appreciate the gorgeous teal blue, this ocean blue that you have on. It's right. It brings out your eyes. brings out my eyes. Yeah, you yeah. look magnificent. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. If there was a movie of Frank Palmer's life, who would play young Frank Palmer? Who do you want? I don't know. Maybe uh, I, I, I would always, maybe like a George Clooney, maybe. Uh, oh, yeah. Somebody like George, you know? Yep. Somebody who's... Uh, yeah. I'd like to have somebody like oh, Sean Connery could play me. Sure, in your but later then, years. Because he, he wore a hairpiece in majority of his movies. I don't know if you know that or not. Oh, oh, I seven. did but, not. Yeah. I could always spot a hairpiece. I didn't know that. Is yeah. that true? Yes, yeah, true. What's what's true? That he had a hairpiece on oh, his yeah. 007? Oh, yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow, did, I didn't know So that. did John Travolta. I did know that. Yeah. There's a lot of actors in Hollywood that actually have hairpieces. You are an ad industry... Icon, I know you don't like it when I say that. Um, as someone who, who, who loves the profession and I'm still, you know, neck deep in marketing and advertising, I hope one day that I can have a career even half as, as successful and interesting as yours has been. Um, why, let me ask you a couple questions about advertising right off the bat. We're, this is a podcast where we talk about storytelling. That's a real foundation to everything that we, we, we connect and talk about in here. Why did commercial, you've been in the industry 50 years, why did only now, now, I don't know, arguably in the last 10 years, did commercials start to become much more cinematic or um, did storytelling become such an integral part of it? We're going to look at some in a minute, but I'm going back to like the early days when you started 50 years ago. They were so basic. They were a little jingle and a product and, a, and, and some superficial endorsement and, and smoke these Lucky Strike cigarettes and you'll be feeling great all day. The end. When did it change and why did it change? Did we become smarter as consumers? Um, I think that uh, more consumers demand more to know about the product to find out whether it's truly genuine, uh, whether they have any uh, uh, values, principles. I mean, at one point in time... Um, I want to say nothing was safe. Cars weren't safe. You go back to the 60s and 50s, they never had seat belts. You start to read the history about how cars actually ended up getting seat belts. And, and it, you know, looking at it, uh, cigarettes were uh, part of the, uh, the scene of being hip. Right. And, and uh, when you find out later that they're not hip at all, is that uh, they're bad for you, right? And um, I think there's started to be some kind of a... a I don't know when it started. It probably didn't get really started until the late 80s, maybe even into the 90s, because back then, um, advertising was so much simpler. You know, you, you, you had a brand, and, and you had to find a way to make it stand out, not unlike what you have to do today, but the, it's much more cynical. People really want to know the brand has a purpose and values and stands for something, particularly with younger people yeah. who really are very, very educated and they're not going to deal with a client or a company that doesn't stand for something. Did the early days of your career mirror 
Mad Men, the way it was presented to us, uh, you know, 10 years ago when that, that program, that TV show hit the, the, the pop culture zeitgeist in a way that I think everybody went, A, I had no idea, or B, um, wow, that's exactly the way it was. And, 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 and then C, both of those things. Was it like that for you? Is, is Mad Men uh, a fair representation of the, of the ad world back then? Yeah, I mean, back then uh, we would dress uh, a lot more business-like, you know, uh, more like uh, uh, back in those days. I probably, today I go to work in jeans pretty much every day, and, uh, and uh, I very seldom ever wear a jacket, uh, a shirt, more like yourself. But um, for, you had to live through that period to really know that was the period. Because clients would come to see me, and they would come in the morning, early in the morning, before noon, before you go for lunch, and they wanted to have a drink. Sure. You know? And we all had beer fridges or fridges in, you know, wine fridges, I'd, you know, butter, scotch, whatever, whatever you wanted. And, uh, and more often than not, the clients were talking about their life, and then it got into talking about advertising. It yeah. was really, you got to know the clients. In fact, I prefer that kind of era because... We were our relationship was a lot stronger because we were dealing with the principal of the company, dealing with the the owner, the entrepreneur, and and not through layers of uh, marketing directors who think they know what they're talking about. In many cases, they do, but they really don't know the details with a client because I was able to get more out of a client, almost like uh, like their doctor. Yeah, you know. And because they wanted to talk to me about what they... You always know how to pull that out of them. Well, we had to pull it out yeah. of them because, you know, people would say to me, well, I know my client very, very well. I, I know the color of his or her eyes. And I'd say, I know the shade, though. And you did. And, you, and that is an interesting thing because then in that moment, you've got more context or more understanding of what the client might want. But now you have an interesting problem where most film and television whether it was back then or even today, aren't always faced with. You have to be creative on demand. You have a finite period of time where you've got to take those insights that you could pull out of those clients, Frank, and you've got to sit down and come up with, okay, what's this creative pitch we're going to develop? And, you know, the meter's running. The clock is ticking. Did, did you – was that – fun for you? Was that stressful? In most things, we write a script or a screenplay or whatever, and then we can kind of edit it, and then we go pitch it, and then we go make it. But this, in the world of advertising, was always on demand, and it had to happen really quick. Was that... Well, I mean, I, 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 it's not much different really today. I mean, when I'm sitting down with a client and I listen to what they have to say about their business, and you know, you're gathering facts. And In fact, I was doing it just before I came down here. We were as I'm in the process of recreating myself all over again as a, as a young guy in the ad business and recreating what it is that's going to be very different about me and my partner and what we're going to offer up to clients, it, it's trying to find out who you are and wh what you do and, and looking for that uniqueness that sets one company away from another because it can, it can be so simple. Mm -hmm. It could be a really simple thing. So even today... Why are you reinventing yourself there? Why are you reimagining it? You were so successful to get this far. Why do you feel like you have to do that? Because the ad business isn't the ad business that was Mad Men. It, it's a very different business. It's changed. It's, it's, it's not trusted as much as it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, the, it, 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 it has caused its own grief. It's caused its own problems. We're living in an Uber world. Yeah. Uh, we're living in where people uh, like John Hammond's in Vancouver shooting commercials for uh, – Dine and Dash, 
You know, that's I mean, right. Yeah, I saw yeah, this. And and yeah. and there's you know he stayed in the same yeah. hotel. I mean, here he is in Vancouver from Mad Men to Dine and Dash. I mean, um, it, it's a very different world today. There, and for and sure. uh, but the process of of creativity is pretty much the same because I'm now talking to creative people about who I am. They're trying to figure out what uniqueness, if any, that yeah. I may have to to create a my brand and what makes my brand different than someone else's. And, and what I want to do now more and more is uh, work with advertising agencies, not as a competitor, but as a, as an adjunct to helping them get better creative as well as uh, how to get ideas out of what they need for their client to make a difference. Because do we, do we teach that properly in, 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 in all the best programs where you go to study marketing, marketing theory, that, that creative process, do you think, at the end of the day, no matter where you go, you can teach that properly? Uh, I think you can, but I, it might be a course on selling versus a course on creativity because there's a process to selling. And, and I say that I'm in the relation business and what I produce is a byproduct of trust. And mm -hmm. everything I do is getting that person to trust me that I have their best interests. You know, Because if you go to a doctor today and you say... Uh, I got a problem, and the doctor says, uh, "What is it?" And I go, "Guess." Right. Well, I can't guess, and I poke you. Does it hurt there? No. Does it hurt there? No. Well, tell me a t story about you, and it, it, for me, it's really getting into finding out, not unlike what you want to do. I mean, why are you doing what you're doing? Because you enjoy it. You find the stories interesting, right? You're I finding a little bit of interest. You're, you're, yeah, you're, I find the guests that I get to talk to far more interesting. Well, no, yeah. but I mean, but 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 what you're doing is you're also discovering who you are and what you would like to do, and sure. eventually you'll say, I, I, "I like that part of my life, but there's more interest in, in in doing something else or different." You know, so for me, it's really really creating myself all over again, and hopefully getting people to uh, say, "Well, he, he's really not that old, is he?" You know, in his mind, he's still relatively. Uh, oh, you're a, as sharp a, as they got. I'm not no, worried about you. You know, but, but, but again, it's you're in order to be uh, uh, relevant is really a word that. Uh, but I find what you're doing and what I'm doing is maybe very similar. In a I way, think so too. Because we're discovering things. Do you think, Frank, that the traditional with the, with the the advent and the and the boom of streaming, and ad free streaming, do you think the traditional commercial as we know it is is doomed or will there always be a place for these messages that are brought to you by well i think that the message has to be of interest mm -hmm. because you're not going to watch something that's boring in fact uh, i've just watched my wife at home i'm interested in watching commercials to see what's being done my wife is interested in turning them off or changing turning, changing the channel her control is that she has that little control thing in her hand Yes. Which drives me crazy. Yeah. Because I'm ready to watch something or turn it up and she grabs it and changes stations. And I go, wait. But maybe that remote control or maybe the TiVo, the PVR made. I, I, I said this to someone the other day we were talking about, someone who I know who works in agency. And probably the remote control or the, the, the TiVo, if you will, where you could fast forward through them, had the largest singular impact on the types of commercials we make because now the consumer truly can fast forward through it. And, and also in doing that, um, you get a couple other things too. We get this whole new volume controversy when now commercials are 
you know, twice as loud as the program you're watching because they start to predict when you're going to get up and leave the room and go, you know, fill up your drink or go get, go get a, you know, a, a bag of chips. And all of a sudden, commercials have to get better. They have to get smarter. They have to adapt to this overwhelming need to not watch them. Like, we, nobody wants to watch them. You're unique because you're from that industry. Well, yeah, but, but I, th- I, I still would like to uh, – <clears throat> I want to challenge you. Uh, I don't mean that. No, please but I do. would like to ask a number of young people, uh, and, and probably we will do this, as to what's important in the, to find out about things. I mean, how do they find out whether uh, a certain model car or, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I know that I don't have to ever go to a car dealership because I, I know what car I'm going to buy the next time I'm going to buy a car because I've spent enough time online studying the car. I've seen a car. I've seen this model, that model, what model. I know where I'm going to go to get my shoes or, you know, whatever. I'm in that scene uh, in many cases with a 25-year-old where, you know, I'm not following myself on uh, Instagram or, I mean, I can't stand most of that stuff because I'm not really interested where you just ate your dinner right? or whether you had your toenails painted blue or green. I, 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 I don't understand why people care about that. I don't, but I'm very interested in what other people think and what they do because it starts to figure out how, how am I going to talk to you? How, how am I going to reach you? How, what, what is it I'm going to twig you to come and see me at my restaurant or come into my car dealership or whatever it is that I've got to find a way to catch you on your habits and what you like? And that, to me, is all being done now very simply online. You're, you're right. And one, another thing that's happening online is the, the traditional ad or the commercial, whatever you want to call it, is becoming shorter than it's ever been. We now have, I think, Dylan, what do we have, like a three-second spot? You can have something that short on Facebook now, I think. Six, we have six, and I've seen, I've seen ones that are as short as, as three or four on, an, I'm trying to remember the platform. I want to say it was, uh, they're like in and out sliders between, they're yeah. cuts between things. Yeah. You're yeah. down to six seconds, essentially. Well, that's you went from 15 to a 30 to, or a 60. Do you think because you Because you're not going to watch a 120-minute commercial. But you're did you ever think it would get 60. that, did you ever think we would get that short? And do you think you can actually tell, deliver an effective message that short? Well, I think it gets harder and harder to be able to do something, say something that means something. You know, I mean, you know, I guess if you're, uh, yeah driving a Ferrari and it says fast, I mean, you probably get it. It's probably fast, but the other word would be expensive. Yes. You know, I mean, you, you have to sort of figure out what it is that, and, and I, I'm not saying I have all the answers to that because we're, it changes so fast too, right? But, I mean, we got into 60s. We're, we're back in the 19, uh, say, the 70s and 80s. The commercials were basically 60 seconds. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And now they're and, and we, six and, seconds. And we were making money. Um, we were making money while we were sleeping because we were in an industry that we would get paid uh, a commission from radio and TV and print. These ads would be running, and I was collecting commissions while I'm sleeping because we were running these commercials, you know, night and day. And and then, uh, you know, 30-second uh, commercials came in, and we were still collecting commissions, and 15-second commercials came in, and now you're talking about five and three seconds. Yeah. Now the commission business is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I got an ad, ad uh, call from a, a couple of ad agencies last uh, month or two. And what m- most people don't know is that uh, I've been living on 
uh, charging by the hour or charging value pricing for years. Sure. Where a lot of the smaller shops have been living on the 15% commission, all of a sudden gone. One day wake up, 15% is gone. And that's a major shift. Well, if you've been making your commission, say, a $10,000 television purchase <clears throat> through your agency, you're going to get $1,500 on that. Now, do you think the client's going to now pay you 11500 for what you did before? Right. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. You might get uh, 200 bucks. They'll it's, say, well, where's the value? You bought a TV time on this particular station. It was okay before. I didn't care because I was going to pay the same price as you. And this is now partly, this has got to be part of the reason, and we, you and I have talked about this before, where, where we see the, I don't want to say the collapse of agency, but I think the real change in agency is a lot of the bigger shops are, are trying to look at where is the profitability and where, where will, will they go? Will big agency ultimately five, 10 years from now go away? Do you predict, Frank, will it always be there? Or are we moving more in-house instead? Well, there's a combination. It's a combination of all of it. Mm -hmm. okay? it's, it's not just in-house, out-of-house. It's, uh, I think the part of the model might be whereas we work with clients to create an in-house, out-of-house agency that becomes the, uh, a better example. I mean, the fact is that I, I look at it and I say, the independents, when you take a look at the independents, uh, large independent agencies, um, Wade and Kennedy out of Portland, yeah. they're still independent. They have a rule yeah. that they're says we will always be independent. Yeah. No wonder they're doing the world's best, some of the world's best advertising is because they still value their client. But let's and, be and clear. And money isn't the yeah. uh, money is not the main thing. I mean, well, uh, that let's in, in fairness, Nike is their client, big, big client. Yeah. hell of a hell of a client hell of a uh, narrative to build around and probably as endless a pool of money but you think can about think, it for a minute right be like a marriage right yes if you as long as you're performing and doing the right job you're going to keep the marriage alive well and happy but if you all of a sudden forget about that you forget about the roses and the flowers and the nice dinners and all that kind of stuff so if nike is getting the work from, from Whedon and Kennedy because they have a partnership of trust that they build up with each other and they know that they're going to get great advertising because the client allows them to do it. And if you don't allow that to happen, you're going to get like where a lot of the companies are not getting the best out of their agencies anymore because they don't have the best talent because they're not paying them the best talent. And, and on top of that, they're not treating them like uh, as well as they mm -hmm. used to. So... I can say right now, I said there's probably going to be a combination of both agencies, but let's let, let use a small example. And I, when I started in the business of two people, three people, four people, you would do anything you could for a client. Of course. So imagine yourself as the um, Ace Hardware or the Home Hardware, okay? Yeah. So you go to your local hard, Home Hardware, and for me, I'm kind of like a, I, I don't know what I want, but I know where it fits on the doorknob or it fits at the back of the door. And I say, I don't know what it is, but it kind of stops. You know what the, you're looking for. I don't know the name of it, but I go in there and the, and the person says, oh, it's on aisle five. Let me take you over there. But I'll come, come with me and I'll show you. Is this what you're looking for? And I go, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, 39 cents. Put it in your pocket. Come back and see me when you need something else. Guess where I'm going to buy my barbecue? Home hardware. So we went from a Home Depot up to a Home Depot. Now, I go to a Home Depot. They wouldn't even know what the hell I'm talking about because they want to sell me a fridge. Can you imagine the markup on a fridge versus a 39-cent thing? Sure. And the challenge, I think, for anyone, too, now <coughs> is how do you, how do you 
that not only did the retail or the business landscape change, but as a result of that real shift in there, you've got to come up with ads that now somehow make you still want to go to but those But you want to go to someone who cares about your business right. and knows there's something there that I'm get, getting out of you. I don't know what it is. I know where it is, but you got to tell me more about yourself, and then you build that trust and that relationship that will last. And that's why a Whedon and Kennedy or a lot of uh, large companies and in small companies will will last longer mm -hmm. because when you're in a community like Red Deer or, or, or someplace in Nova Scotia, you're dealing with the owner, you're dealing with the manager, you're dealing with the person who's created the business, and you're the person who's created your own business. You have a great relationship of trust. Now as you get bigger, you start to seem to keep in that trust factors I get it, harder. Yeah. Um, I, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, George W. Bush, when he steps out of the Oval Office, he's done, we discover this whole new side of him that he's an artist. Yeah. He likes to paint. Yeah. And uh, this surprises a lot of people. They see him, whether you liked him or you didn't like him as a president, you see there's a man here literally painting on a canvas in his twilight post-president years. And it is uh, illuminating to a lot of people who the, who the man really might be, especially in particular, he paints a lot of cats and kittens. Yeah. Um, people discover about you fairly recently, although you've been doing well, you are a painter as well. Well, I did go to art school. And I'm going That's to, as we're talking right now, I'm going to have uh, uh, Dylan I'll flash some images of some of your art um, so people can see him as we're talking about it right now. Um, you did go to art school first. You've always had that artist inside of you. What's the difference between when you approach a blank canvas, Frank? And people will see them as we're talking about it here because you're, you, this isn't just a hobby. I, I, I'm saying this and I mean it. You're an incredible artist. Thank you. You're, I mean, it's really amazing stuff. Um, how much of that has anything to do with the ad world and the, and the creating an advertisement? Is it a whole separate creative process? Well, having come from, um, I, I mean, I was drawing Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck when I was in school. Yeah. And so I've always had an interest in, 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 in art and I guess being curious, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's been an advantage for me. Yeah. Because I'm able to uh, work with and talk to other creative people because I can understand how they operate and what turns them on or turns them off. How much do you, how often are you painting now? Not enough. Currently? Not enough. Not enough. Like I, a couple I, hours a week? Well, <clears throat> when I get into it, I, I, I get, uh, I get, uh, I get into it. And you I, need to be inspired. I, I like Southwest. I like uh, warmth. I like uh, uh, native Indian cowboys, that kind of stuff. You yes. Know, I like, I like that because I, I, and I paint that I, I paint out of perspective. I, you know, like if the cowboy had a head this big and a body this big, he'd be 90 feet tall, you know, or a, I don't want to paint it. Uh, I don't want to paint a painting that looks like a picture because I can take a picture of that with a camera better. I want to paint something that's out of perspective and out of shape. And so it, I think it has a lot more interest. Are, are you critical of your of the of your artwork? Are you? Yeah, I don't think it's good enough. Um, that doesn't surprise me. You think that I know a lot of artists are that way. I will see something if I'm uh, online, which I'm online a lot. Mm hmm. And if I, uh, for example, I could be online and I've seen a movie about Humphrey Bogart or something like that. And uh, I'll go online and I'll look them up and I'll say, oh, there's a nice uh, black and white or colored photograph of uh, 
Humphrey Bogart. You know, if I did this to it, I made a bigger hat or made his nose bigger or had a cigarette. Because, you know, there was a, I find that the old, for example, the old talk show hosts, yeah. the Johnny Carsons, and, you know, I find them the best. The best. At, at what they well, do. Well, because they, they, they were able to make people laugh just with their antics. You know, if you saw Jack Benny, he would just go, and, and <laughs> yeah. people would laugh. That was a good, was a good no, impression. No, but he had those antics. I mean, everybody, yeah. these talk show hosts today, they have to have some stupid game that they have to play to get the, get the audience's attention. Whereas, I, I don't think that, I mean, they're very talented people, but the fact is that when you go back and look at Letterman and Leno, and, and, and I, I just think it was very special, some of the old uh, actors. Uh, How am I doing? You're doing great. Because any having, any no, tips for having, me? I'm not fishing. How, no, no, any but, tips but, for but me? You're having a conversation of interest with me because we're bouncing back and forth off of each other. Yeah, and, and that's hopefully. why you think it works. That's why it works. But uh, getting up and playing some game and putting your face into pumpkin pie, <laughs> you know, it may be funny and maybe it relates to a lot of younger people. It doesn't relate to me because I don't think there's a, it's intelligent enough. When, you, when you're when you creating a painting, you've finished one, um, is there a story behind every one, or is it just is it just a, 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 a vision in your mind that you're bringing to life? How important there's storytelling and advertising, which is which is essential, and then there's in the art you do, and I wondered if it plays any part in that process for you at all. I started a painting, and uh, one of the paintings which I can you know, maybe come up on the screen. Yeah, I'll show I it right now. I started 50 years ago. Started and finished it this year. And you started this it's 50 abs- years ago? It was an abstract, and, and I put it in a closet for a while. I didn't like it at the time. I just didn't know what to do with it. I wasn't sure what to do with it. And I was painting uh, again, and I was going through, and I, oh, I remember this painting. And so I actually stopped the painting that I was doing and put it up on my easel and finished it. Really? That, yeah. 50 years later? 50 years later. And is there... In but I didn't like it at the time because it was like... Uh, and it wasn't something that when you see it, because abstract is, you know, people say, oh, anybody can do that. Oh, really? Yeah, try. Oh, I agree. It's you not know, easy to do it. You know, like, uh, you know when you look at back... It. See if you can make those lines look that great. I'll bet. That's amazing. Spelling 50 years paint, later. You know, on, on canvas, you know. Like, Did uh, you ever see that documentary, My Kid Could Paint That? No, but I can... But you can't. Try you, Abstract is, is there tough. is absolutely. I, I don't disagree, and I and I've seen a lot of your abstract, and I think it's beautiful. I think a lot of people really like it. It's frankpalmerart.com. They can see it. Frankpalmerart.com. Yeah, which, prices are on there too. That's right. Yeah. Did you when Free you look, shipping when you <laughs> <laughs> all the more reason? Overnight. Oh wow, you're competing yeah, with Amazon. Yeah, now. Amazon. Yeah. Frank Palmer always selling, yeah. always marketing. When you look at your old commercials, Frank, do you are you critical of them? Of course. Uh, Do you like to go back and look at the old ones or well, you just move I, on? there's a few commercials out there. And, and, uh, Any unfinished ones for 50 no, years ago? No, 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 no. But there's some pretty crappy ones that we did over the years. And I can't say that, look, it, you know, I was part of it. So if you make a crappy movie, there's more than one person, right? Yeah. Uh, when you're doing a painting, there's me. You know, it's me. Yeah. So if it's crappy, it's me being crappy. Yeah. And so I'm very critical of my own work, you know. And, and um, so if I don't like it, uh, so I paint over it. A lot of artists do that because yeah. you can. 
Well, you can. You start again. You know, I mean, because it's it's not going away. And there's, I would say, more often than not, paintings that I've done, more often they don't go the way I want them to go. Because if, if it's like anything in life, you got to be practicing doing something to get good at. And if you're not practicing it enough or painting it enough, you can't be good at. It. Let's look at with your refined palette. Fifty years in the making, you've got obviously an an opinion on a favorite TV commercial this year. I'd love to know. It's 2019. We're at the end of the year here. If you had to pick a favorite TV commercial that you think this one really nailed it, have you got one in mind? Yeah, it would be um, uh, a new commercial that came out, uh, I think, probably last month that was done by uh, an advertising agency in Toronto. Um, and the creative director, Zach, uh, is a friend of mine. And uh, he did one for Subaru on the new uh, Outback. Uh, let me um, and, let me play uh, that for called uh, goat. Let me play that one for everyone right now. We're going to cut to that. Hang to become the goat, the all-new 2020 Subaru Outback must beat the goat up the mountain, down the mountain. Symmetrical full-time all-wheel drive with X mode versus hooves, ground clearance versus hopping. But the true test was the 14-foot canoe, where the goat tapped out. The all-new 2020 Subaru Outback. The greatest Outback of all time. <laughs> of, all the, of all the commercials in 2019, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of them, you picked this one for the Subaru Outback. Why do you love this spot? Well, I, I, I think that what they've done with the commercial is that they've tied a goat, which we all know <laughs> can climb mountains and hills like pretty much better than anybody. Agreed. And tied it to a car that's known for the same reasons to be able to go up. It's an outdoor car. It's an SUV. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be rugged and durable, pardon me, durable, and be able to climb up the mountain. So it was just a very simple scenario of tying a car to something that we all know is very strong and durable. 100%. You know, it's for me. It's clear. It's effective. It's just made common sense. And and too often uh, that doesn't work. But it was, we, we had, I had handled that account for probably 10 years and just upset that I never thought of the goat or our people never thought of the goat. It's a really simple way of doing it. And do you think it, part of that harkens back to, are we making commercials too complex sometimes? Like this to me is probably one of the more simple ones, but to your point, it's a really clear message. Well, we didn't, you may show this, maybe you won't, but we had done a commercial years ago for Greyhound Air. Mm -hmm. Greyhound Air, unfortunately, didn't get off the ground. No pun intended. Uh, no pun intended because they got started late. But, but because Greyhound was known as a bus line and an inexpensive bus line to travel, they felt that if they got into the airline business, yeah. with it would be automatically with low cost because their uh, buses are low cost. And so we wanted to use uh, the Greyhound dog yeah. as the star. And basically, I had to go sell this commercial to a board of directors who were fairly old male, uh, 50s and 60s, in their 50s and 60s. And the commercial was a very simple one, that we had trained the dog to pee on a wheel. <laughs> and... So the dog was trained. The Greyhound dog would go over to the airplane <laughs> wheel, which wasn't on the airplane at the time, and practice peeing on the wheel. The shoot was that the dog had to go over to the airplane, 
walk in, over to the airplane, sniff it, lift a leg, and the copy line was, Greyhound Air marking new territory. <laughs> One take. <laughs> One take. Now, what you didn't see in the what you didn't see in the scene is that we had it's a so string, clever, Frank. which it's we so had a clever. string on the dog, because if the dog got loose, they could have shot the dog on the airport because you don't want a dog running around with airplanes, right? Yeah. Point was, I had to walk into that room and sell that commercial in front of twenty, twenty-five senior board members. And I, I pitched it. Oh, I there was like, can pitch like you do. No, but That's, as I pitched it, you probably only it was like, pitch that commercial. it seemed forever, even though it was probably only about 15 seconds of dead <laughs> silence. It seemed like an hour. <laughs> and one of the board members said, That's the best damn commercial I've ever seen. And then I got a, a round of applause. But I thought <laughs> I was going to die in that room, which I could have. <laughs> but that commercial, uh, hopefully, you, people see it. Well, it's it's still one of my favorite spots. Co commercial comedy and humor is, has been consistent for decades through advertising. Right. Um, at different levels, that matches sort of where you are in that place and time, um, and we see it and it's and it works. And people have there's some really funny commercials that you could you could go you know the list as long as your arm. But we just came out of an election in Canada. We're going into to to one in the United States right now, and a lot of political ads. Um, why do political ads, why do they suck? Why do they, for some reason, feel so separate from all other forms? Why have we not surrendered to a more sophisticated, a better way to market and tell, you know, brand stories or things like that in advertising? Why do politicians insist on taking us back 20 years to these terrible things? Do you, do you agree with that statement? No, for I someone? don't. Yeah, I, I find that it uh, doesn't matter what party it is. Yeah, why, do, why are they so terrible? It doesn't terrible? matter whether... Republicans or Democrats or liberals or conservatives yeah. or the Green Party, they haven't really. Uh, why? I don't know why because, but they're dealing with other professional uh, people in the business. Yeah. Who who believe that's what they should be doing because all you're doing is knocking your competitor. Mm -hmm. And I'm not ever going to knock an advertising person uh, in my business. You don't hear me saying that agency stinks or that agency's crap. Sure. I just don't, I'm not going to do that. Right. I just don't think that's professional. But as a, as a politician, I mean, you're just, you, you want to win. You want to, you want, your sales are votes. And, and the, why are they different from Doritos or McDonald's? I don't think they are. Um, I, I don't think And they, yet we, we know going into an election, you're going to see some of the most terrible low quality advertisements ever, ever produced. And they come around every election cycle. And I just thought it's interesting. They're almost like trapped in this bubble. And I wondered if you thought there was a, any escape for them? I've ser I've seen a couple that are slowly breaking convention, in particular in the U.S. But really, having just finished the my, Canadian my one. positioning would be, uh, I hope you like me, but you might not like me after the first four years, because <laughs> I'm going to change things. <laughs> yeah, they never have humor either. Things, they never know, but I'm going to get things done. I'm going to fix it. I promise you. But what they do is they all throw spitballs at each other. Yeah, and fake people sitting campaign. around talking about. So you almost wonder who's got more spitballs stuck on them. Yeah, and I'll vote for the other guy or for the other woman. I I don't know why, but it's a good question. It's probably worthwhile looking into. Not that I want to go out and start looking for politicians to start to promote. No, I agree. Because it's not a business that I really want to be in. What um, looking now maybe my final question to you, Frank, is the as you finish out uh, this last chapter and you're reinventing the newest one. 
Um, what are you most excited about creatively? What is it that's driving you now? At 50 years, you, you, you've got to have so much experience, and yet it sounds like you really want to reinvent yourself. Well, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's working with people that I choose to work with probably is what I'm interested in because it's like I only want to work with clients that want to do something with their business that's different and, and create a, a platform or a brand uh, for them that they're proud of and that I can be proud of. I think at one point in time in our life, you take on clients because you had to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had to eat. You want to just pick and choose and do the ones you I want, want to be. be more selective. Yeah. And I think that the model that we're going to try to create is one that can work with advertising agencies and helping them. So for me, it's like cool. if, if you look at what's happening with many of the companies out there that are looking for advertising agencies, they don't know the questions to ask. And so if you're going to ask the same questions over and over and expect to diff get different answers, it's not going to happen. And I think for me and what we're trying to do in our business is give the client better questions to ask so they get better results. And uh, on that note, I want to say you are always the consummate storyteller. I want to give you something. Thank you. Keep, uh, keep your Do head I have to keep sign. it as a flat hat or can I actually fold? The you are an amazing can storyteller. I and can I fold the lid? Yeah. Because otherwise it's... No, a, don't, don't. You're supposed to wear it flat. I, but that's not me, though. Yeah, but then it'll look like a, like you're wearing like a MAGA hat or something. All right. Yeah, you got it. Uh, thank you. Thank but, you. But uh, I, I hope Storyteller. Yeah, you are one of the greatest of all time, um, and that is for you. And How's I, that? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, will you come back and talk with us Absolutely. again, Frank? Any, anytime. We, we anytime. just think the world of you here at Vancouver Film School. And we love hearing about your perspective on that process. Right. So uh, come back again. I'm going to put a link to your art. I really want people to see your incredible art. And uh, thanks for being on the show. I hope we'll come back again real soon. I will do. Frank Palmer, everybody. Thank you.